These are the words Moses spoke to all Israel in the wilderness east of the Jordan, that is, in the Arabah, opposite Saf, between Paran and Tophel, Laban, Hazaroth and Dizahab. It takes 11 days to go from Horeb to Kadesh Barnea by the Mount Seir road. In the 40th year, on the first day of the 11th month, Moses proclaimed to the Israelites all that the Lord had commanded him concerning them. This was after he had defeated Sihon, king of the Amorites, who reigned at Heshbon, and at Edrei, who had defeated Og, king of Bashan, who reigned in Ashtoreth. East of the Jordan, in the territory of Moab, Moses began to expound this law, saying, The Lord our God said to us at Horeb, You have stayed long enough at this mountain. Break camp and advance into the hill country of the Amorites. Go to all the neighbouring peoples in the Arabah, in the mountains, in the western foothills, in the Negev and along the coast, to the land of the Canaanites and to Lebanon, as far as the great river, the Euphrates. See, I have given you this land. Go in and take possession of the land that the Lord swore he would give to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, and to their descendants after them. Then, as the Lord our God commanded us, we set out from Horeb and went towards the hill country of the Amorites through all that vast and dreadful wilderness that you have seen, and so we reached Kadesh Barnea. Then I said to you, you have reached the hill country of the Amorites, which the Lord our God is giving us. See, the Lord your God has given you the land. Go up and take possession of it as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, told you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Then all of you came to meet me and said, let us send men ahead to spy out the land for us and bring back a report about the route we are to take and the towns we will come to. The idea seemed good to me, so I selected 12 of you, one man from each tribe. They left and went up into the hill country and came to the valley of Eshkol and explored it. Taking with them some of the fruit of the land, they brought it down to us and reported, it is a good land that the Lord our God is giving us. But you were unwilling to go up. You rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. You grumbled in your tents and said, the Lord hates us. So he brought us out of Egypt to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us. Where can we go? Our brothers have made our hearts melt in fear. They say, the people are stronger and taller than we are. The cities are large and the walls up to the sky. We even saw the Anakites there. Then I said to you, do not be terrified. Do not be afraid of them. The Lord your God who is going before you will fight for you as he did for you in Egypt before your very eyes and in the wilderness. There you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a father carries his son all the way you went until you reached this place. And chapter 4, verse 1. Now, Israel, hear the decrees and laws I'm about to teach you. Follow them so that you may live and may go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your ancestors, is giving you. Do not add to what I command you, and do not subtract from it, but keep the commands of the Lord your God that I give you. You saw with your own eyes what the Lord did at Baal Peor, the Lord your God destroyed from among you everyone who fo followed the Baal of Peor, but all of you who held fast to the Lord your God are still alive today. And over onto page 8, I'll read from Luke chapter 22. When the hour came, 
Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. The son of man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to that man who betrays him. They began to question among themselves which of them might it might be who would do this. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be, be to God. God. Former slave trader John Newton penned these magnificent words. Grace has brought me safe thus far, and grace will bring me home. Note the timing in the lyric and the tension. There is a thus far component, as well as a further still component. A thus far and a further still, which means there's a present to manage. This is the Christian experience. Thus far, further still. And this moment in time is the context of our discipleship of our following Jesus. I reckon Tanya and Mike Snowden know something of this. For those who have been following and praying, the Snowdens were stuck in Spain. They were given a defat flight out of Istanbul to Darwin on this coming Monday, tomorrow. So they are in Istanbul this very hour and they are on the edge of promise, but they aren't home, not yet. God has brought them safe thus far, God will bring them home. Thus far, further still. John Newton's line and the tension might be a good way into the ancient book of Deuteronomy. Today we begin an eight-week series in this book. The three sermons that are contained in Deuteronomy are time-specific, 1,400 years before Jesus Christ, 3,400 years ago. It relates, of course, to the ancient people of God. They've been brought safe thus far through the Exodus, but they're not yet home. They stand in the wilderness on the edge of the promised land. So what will Moses, the one who speaks in this book, what will he tell them on the edge of promise, looking back and looking forward? What will he say? Well, how about this? I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice and hold fast to him for the Lord is your life. Deuteronomy is timeless too in Christ. That's why we study it as Christians. That's why we mine it for its riches. Because our story begins 3,400 years ago or more, not 34 years ago or more or less. You and I, we have a mega story in which to reconstruct our lives. We too look back at God's 
saving work, an exodus of sorts. We too look forward to a better home, the renewal of all things. And so we live here now on the edge of promise. We know thus far, further still. So what will God say to us? What will the Spirit of God say to us in this moment? Deuteronomy is the Old Testament's manifesto for discipleship. Those ancient people, they were called to follow the Lord on that side of the Jordan River. Forty times in the book they were called to follow the Lord. Jesus says to us simply, follow me. And it comes with the same gravitas as Deuteronomy. Jesus says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life, said Jesus, will lose it. And the one who loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. Choose life, says Jesus. For what good is it that someone gained the whole world and yet forfeit their soul. Discipleship is about doing. That might sound counterintuitive with the gospel of grace, but discipleship is about following the Lord, and that's why discipleship comes with verbs, which are rough throughout Deuteronomy. The outline in your downloaded order of service will be updated. The series is a work in progress, but we're called to remember the Lord, to Love him with our heart, soul, mind and strength. To worship him alone. To listen to his voice. To care for others. To obey him and to sing his praises. We began the year with the verbs of discipleship in John's Gospel. And we conclude the year with the verbs of discipleship in Deuteronomy. Those books are in fact related. Today we remember the Lord. Also in the negative, we do not forget the Lord. That's the verb of the day, to remember, to not forget. We'll talk in a moment about the power of memory for discipleship. Our text today, chapters 1 through 4, is the first of three sermons of Moses. Chapters 1 through 4, 5 through 28, that's the long one, and then 28 to 30. Two short sermons, one long one with some commentary. Today, this is the short one. In chapters 1 to 4, there are only three references to remembering. In chapter 4, verse 9, only be careful, watch yourselves closely that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen, or let them fade from your heart as long as you live. Don't forget them. In 4 verse 10, remember the day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb at Sinai. In 4 verse 23, be careful not to forget the covenant of the Lord your God that he made with you. Now there is one reference to God remembering something, his covenant, for the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will, he will not forget the covenant that he made with your ancestors. We'll come back to that. The whole of 1 to 4 is an exercise in recalling the Exodus story. So while there's just three or four references, these four chapters is Moses calling on Israel to remember thus far, 
That's why it's our verb of the day. But know this before we begin. The implication of you and I being in the wilderness thus far, further still, is that we can forget. We really can. Which is not really so much about simple memory loss, so much as it is about failing to combine hearing and obeying. The very thing Jesus said, those who have given up on God have forgotten him. So how do we avoid this? How do we not let the memory, what we hear this day, to fade from our hearts as long as we live? How do you do this? Well, four things for us to do today from our text. We need to, one, retell the story. Two, don't skip the hard parts. Three, bring the past into the present. And four, don't rely on your memory. Come to that. First, we need to retell the story. These chapters are Moses telling the story of the Exodus to the generation on the edge of the Promised Land. It's 40 years after the Exodus. Chapter 1, verse 1, these are the words Moses spoke to all Israel in the wilderness, east of the Jordan, that is, in the Arabah. Arabah is number 12 there on your map. I'll pop this map up in the YouTube channel if you like. It's a real place. Lots of desert there in Jordan, I think it is. In the 40th year, on the first day of the 11th month, Moses proclaimed to the Israelites all that the Lord had commanded him concerning them. And what did he say? Chapter 1, verse 5, Moses began to expound the law, the Torah, saying... Now, this is the second reading of the Torah, the first being at Sinai, Horeb, 40 years earlier. And that's where we get the title Deuteronomy, and it's from the Greek. De Deuteronomon, which which means the second reading of the law. But the Torah is not only laws in the way we understand laws, that'll make up the second sermon, but it's also the simple retelling of the story of God, the telling of the story of the Exodus. Now, chapters 1 to 4 should be read at home, but a summary could be something like this. Remember that God brought you up out of Egypt. That's number one there. Remember that he took you down to Sinai and he gave you there the Ten Commandments in the first reading of the law. That's number two there. Remember that after a year, God said, break camp, go up to the hill country of the Amorites and take the land. 1 verse 6, see, I've given you this land. That'll be important. I've given you this land. Go in and take possession of the land that the Lord swore he would give to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and to their descendants after them. It's all yours. So Moses said, I climbed down from the mountain. I appointed 12 elders to rule. Echoes of Jesus there with his 12 disciples coming from, down from the, the Sermon on the Mount. Now do you see what's happening here? Moses is retelling the story of the Exodus. And we need to do the same. We need to retell the story of our Exodus. Not from slavery in Egypt, but from our slavery to sin. Communion, when we get to enjoy it together, is a place where we remember our exodus. Jesus is our Passover lamb who was sacrificed. This is how Jesus makes the exodus story timeless. But we don't need communion to do it. We can remember him in our hearts daily as we retell the story to ourselves and to others. 
There is, of course, a tyranny in seeking new things, novel ideas. I know a lot of people who've forgotten the Lord because they became bored with old news. They needed something novel in order to be stimulated. But it's to misunderstand discipleship. Our task is not stimulation of the mind, but rather to remember the Lord, to recall the gospel. That's number one. That's what a disciple does. She retells the story. Secondly, he does not skip the hard parts. A disciple doesn't. Moses doesn't skip the hard parts of the story, even about himself. Moses goes on in chapter 1, verse 19. Remember what happened 40 years ago? Remember it? We got up to Kadesh Barnea, and we got stuck there. That's the number four right there up the top there. God said, now remember, this is still early on in the days after the Exodus. I'm giving you the land, 1, verse 20. It's flowing with milk and honey. Chapter 6, verse 3. I love that. You'll have to take up your cross. You'll have to risk your life to take the land. And it will be scary. But remember that God has assured us, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. But you had a momentary lapse of reason, even if understandable. Moses said to them, you said to me, you suggested this, let's spy the land, 1 verse 22. You went in, 12 of you, you saw that the land was good, 1 verse 25, but you also came back with the news that they were giants, 1 verse 28. You got afraid, so you famously grumbled in your tents, the mark of cynicism driven by fear. Remember this? Remember, Moses says, you grumbled in your tents, saying, the Lord hates us. And so he brought us out of Egypt thus far to, what? To deliver us into the hands of the Amorites, to destroy us. Where can we go? Our brothers have made our hearts melt in fear. So Moses says, don't forget the hard parts. You didn't trust me. You didn't obey me. So you will not enter, 1 verse 35, no one from this Evil generation shall see the good land I swore to give your ancestors. In fact, only Joshua and Caleb will go in. Those who trusted, not even me, says Moses. So back to the wilderness they went for testing, for humility, to teach you, chapter 8, verse 3, to teach you, to humble you, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Don't skip the message of sin, even as you tell the, retell the story to yourself. It is the backdrop of the gospel for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And part of Israel's telling of the Torah, and I don't know any other nation that does it quite the same way, is that we were sinners too. And sin here is not just doing a few bad things, a few naughty things. It's not trusting God. It's not handing over your fears to him. And it's cynically believing that God has not got your back. You grumbled in your tents. Sin, of course, requires judgment. It's the Lord who judges. And in the case of the previous generation, 40 years, in the desert was their 
judgment. And they were unable to see the, the very thing they longed for, the promised land. Psalm 95 retells the story. Today, if you only would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in Meribah, as you did on that day at Massah in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested me, they tried me, even though they had seen what I did. Today, if you hear his voice. The writer of Hebrews takes the good news of the gospel and warns us with this very text. He says that there is still a today, and there is still a today. It's today. Therefore, let us make every effort to enter that rest, to listen to his voice, so that no one will perish by following the example of their disobedience. A disciple of Jesus retells the story, he doesn't skip the hard parts. Thirdly, we bring the past into the present. A disciple of Jesus brings the past into the present. The gospel of Jesus is a victory, not of nations surrounding us, but of sin and death engulfing us. And we need to remember the story of Jesus Christ, his victory through his resurrection. And when we do, we bring the past into the present, and we do so for the sake of the future. Have a look at this line, to bring the past into the present for the sake of the future. That sentence is a bit tricky, and I believe that when you bring the past into the present for the sake of the future, the past, in some sense for us, becomes the present. Now, when Moses spoke these words, they were in the present, they were listening in the moment, but Moses was speaking about their future. He's saying to them, when their future comes, when they enter the land, then they need to remember their past. And to add to this complexity, here we are, in our present, 2021, reading about Israel's past for the sake of our future. And God is speaking to us now in the power of his Holy Spirit, and he's asking us that as the future unfolds for us, that what God has done in the past, we recall, we remember. And we need to do that so that when the future is our present, we do not forget the Lord, lest we forget. You see, we ignore the story of God at our peril, and we remember it for our blessing. Now, memory is a powerful thing. It's a beautiful thing. We have this book that we read to our kids when they were younger, Wilfred Gordon MacDonald Partridge, Partridge. It teaches the kids the power and the beauty of memory from the perspective of someone who's lost their memory. A memory, so the book goes, is something warm, something from long ago, something that makes you cry, something that makes you laugh, something as precious as gold. They're wise words. But in the Bible, to remember is much more. To remember is a spiritual discipline. In the Bible, if we do not remember, if we forget certain things, we put our life at risk. To remember is a discipline. It's a mental activity. It's a mental discipline. You have to tell your heart the past. You have to tell your mind the past. You have to tell your soul the past so that you can love God with all your strength. You've got to find ways to nail the past 
to your present and to keep doing so in the future. That's what's going on here. Remembering saves lives, like in a marriage. And I know that many counsellors do this. They will say to a couple who've forgotten to love each other, they'll say, remember what it was like when you did love each other because the present is not the only way to interpret the present. Bringing the past to the present for the sake of the future is what some counsellors do to help couples. But I submit to you that remembering the past in some ways brings the past into the present. Without retelling the past, it's like an event never happened. It's only in remembering and in the retelling that something in the past has any meaning for the future. And Moses knows this. In Deuteronomy, we have this incredible dynamic with respect to memory. Stay with me. You need to know this. Deuteronomy is a series of three sermons to a group of people that were not present in the Exodus. They're the next generation. The Exodus happened 40 years before these words were spoken. The generation who had been rescued out of the wilderness had died. And this generation that Moses is speaking to were their kids. But remember these words that I began with? Watch yourselves that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen. But the generation that Moses spoke to hadn't seen those things. Remember the day you stood before the Lord your God at Sinai. But that generation hadn't been to Sinai. This generation wasn't the ones that grumbled in their tents. But in Deuteronomy, Moses addresses them as though they were the ones who were rescued. In chapter 4, verse 3, Moses even goes so far to say that they saw with their own eyes what the Lord had done. What they couldn't have seen with their own eyes because they were not alive. In chapter 5, Moses says that it was not with your fathers that God made the covenant, but with you the Lord spoke with you. Such is the power of memory. We were there when it happened. Now, the Bible does this at various points. Um, when Adam sinned, you sinned. We were there in the garden, Romans chapter 5. When Christ died, you died, Colossians chapter 3. Your life was hid with Christ. There's an African-American spiritual uh, that goes like this. Were you there when they crucified my Lord? And you say, well, no, I wasn't. But as we remember and receive Christ by faith, we can say, I was present at the foot of the cross. I was taken to the tomb. My very life was taken to the tomb. I share in his suffering so that I can share in his glory. And so this remembering, it's more than memory. By faith, God is uniting us to himself, but it's not less than memory. Hope begins in memory. So when we can take communion, we say this, Jesus said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this, he said, in remembrance of me. And there in the present, we take the bread and the wine. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Be disciplined about reading the Bible. Decide to begin memorizing some verses of scripture. I decided when I was about 17 to teach in my church's Sunday school, like Church or Kids, because I knew that it was going to help me to remember. 
Immerse yourself in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Remember the Lord with faith, not fear, not cynicism. Perhaps commit to reading Deuteronomy in this season. And a way to start to listen is to just download the Bible Project's video on Deuteronomy. It's an eight-minute YouTube click, YouTube clip, and I'll put it in the link in the chat channel. Fourth and finally, and surprisingly, don't rely on your memory. This is a great verse, Paul to Timothy. Remember, Christ, Christ Jesus, raised from the dead, descended of, from David, this is my gospel. And yet the most important thing we can do, I believe, is to not rely on your memory. Remembering the Lord isn't really, in the end, about you. It's about remembering the Lord. I want to show you one verse from our text today. It's in chapter 4, verse 31. You could slip right over it. For the Lord your God is a merciful God, a gracious God. He will not abandon or destroy you or forget the covenant with your ancestors which he confirmed to them by oath. He won't forget you. You don't have to rely on your memory, but on God's. He will not forget his promise. He will not forget you. You see, the gospel is all of grace. The free gift of God comes from his decision not to forget. He remembered the covenant. He sent Christ Jesus. And Christ Jesus is the new and better Moses he is the new and better Joshua, or Yeshua, who shared his name, the Lord saves. And Jesus was unafraid of the giants called sin and oppression. He went into the land of death and came out in resurrection and secured our future. And as we come out of lockdown, as we recommit ourselves to the Lord, as we seek to love God with our heart, soul, mind, strength, I want to urge you in the power of God's Spirit to remember Christ Jesus, raised from the dead, descended from David, this is the gospel, and to recall that grace has brought me safe thus far, and grace will bring me home. Amen.